I'm Matthew Perpetua, and you are listening to FluxPod, the podcast for Flux Blog, a site I've been doing for getting on 19 years. In this show, I talk to people about music, uh, writers, musicians, industry people, anyone else with an interesting perspective, interesting experiences with music. This is the third episode of the show, and after this episode, the next episode will be a premium episode for Patreon subscribers. And after that one, we'll go into the plan schedule of free episodes coming out on Wednesdays and premium episodes coming out on Saturdays. Uh, subscribing to the show is easy, and a lot of people are saying it's also pretty cheap, given the amount of bonus episodes per month. All you got to do is hit up patreon.com slash fluxblog and subscribe for $5 per month. If you like the show, tell people about it. I think there's a lot of people who might like this who wouldn't just know who I am or what Fluxblog is. You know, people who are just out there in the world and, you know, how the hell are they supposed to know about me? Well, that's where you come into it because there's no advertising for this. There's no media corporation behind this. It's just me. So please help me out with a bit of word of mouth, uh, assuming that you like this, which I, I, I hope that you do. My guest in this episode is the journalist Ryan Broderick. He will tell you about himself in just a moment. Uh, Ryan and I worked together at BuzzFeed for several years, and I think he's one of the smartest and most knowledgeable people out there on the topic of online cultures. So in this episode, uh, we're going to capitalize that, and we're going to focus in on talking about 100 Gex. And please don't turn this off if you hate 100 Gex. I only play a little bit of their music. It won't be a problem. So, Ryan, why don't you first introduce yourself? Tell me who you are, what you do. Uh, that's a great question. Uh, in this crazy mixed-up world, what does what do any of us really do anymore other than consume content? Um, my name is Ryan Broderick. I write a newsletter about technology and the internet called Garbage Day, and I host a podcast about technology and the internet called The Content Minds. Um, and yeah, that's basically it right now. Yeah, and, and 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 prior to that, you and I, we were we both worked at BuzzFeed for a very long time. You a bit longer than I did, and uh, I guess maybe the the majority of your career there, you were a reporter with a kind of an interesting beat that is kind of like social chaos mixed with internet and social media chaos. Yeah. Um- Yeah, I mean, actually, so just in general, actually, um, since I left college, uh, I have bounced around the internet writing about the internet. Um, And that was a very niche subject for many years until uh, it wasn't (laughs) because uh, the world fell apart. And so that's kind of my bag. Yeah, I um, I've been I've been at it for a very long time now. So you're here today. We're going to start talking about 100 Gex and 100 Gex like when when you suggested this is the thing to talk about it, it immediately made sense to me it was almost like between what I know of your taste and also just the background that we just discussed it's kind of like this is the perfect collision so why don't you tell me a bit about what like how, how you got into 100 Gex and just 
what your take on them is, and we'll move from there. Absolutely. So I think 100 decks are the most exciting thing to happen to music right now. Um, I encountered them, I think, in a way a lot of people do, which is via memes that I didn't understand. Um, I would see posts referencing 100 Gex, referencing Gex. I I didn't know what any of it meant. Did they make up the word Gex, or is that actually from something? Uh, I have no idea. I mean, I um, I assume it's something to do with lizards. Um, in fact, I just Googled it right now, and it does autofill Gex meaning, so apparently other <laughs> people are curious about this as well. Um, I have... You know, it's this is the weird thing about them is that like I have not I have not wondered anything about them. Um, which like I feel like they're just like an intense ball of like mystery and weirdness that like I don't care enough to investigate because like that's not the point. <laughs> it's funny that you say that because I felt the same way and then before you know, getting ready to talk about this. I was like, oh, let's find out a little bit more about 100 Gex. And it's like, oh, no, no, they're actually like, like there's actually some crucial context to them where the singer Laura Less is trans. And, right, so I knew uh, that, she's, I knew that, yeah. Yeah, so like, and, and that I think that bit of context matters a lot, uh, especially like kind of the connection to like Nightcore and like the- Well, okay, the, the, yeah, the, wait, the, wait. The Modulating voices and things so like I, that. So I want to get into this because, so, okay, so like- I, to answer your question like very broadly, the reason I like them is because to me, they are post-internet music. They they sound like if you <laughs> if you like grew up on Dance Dance Revolution and Nightcore remixes and like weird warp tour MySpace music, and that was just none of that was novel to you. That was like background. That's just like that's what you that's what you grew up in. Yeah, and also a heavy uh, trap influence. Right. Well, it's it's this it's this genreless future of music where I've been calling it fifth fifth element music, but it's it, it sounds <laughs> like the future. It sounds like a future where we're no longer oppressed by genre labels or concepts of coolness or um, any kind of label or identity. It's just like it sounds that sometimes work really well together and sometimes are disgustingly abrasive, but like that's interesting too and. They they also don't have any. I don't know if you're f- familiar with this kind of like tension in the in like the punk and emo community, but I experienced it a lot growing up. Where I was really interested in synthesizers and electronic music, but I also like emo and I like ska and I like punk and I like all of these very traditionally analog genres. And there was a lot of tension, particularly in the mid two thousands, around like digital elements and analog rock music. And I think a lot of uh, the uh, derision around the crab core phenomenon was definitely like homophobia and misogyny, but also it was this like repulsion against like pro tools and electronic influences in like traditionally like analog music. And so a hundred Gex for me is like really liberating because I'm just like, yes, it doesn't fucking matter where the sound is coming from. It's just music. And you can just like jam it all together and make ugly discordant, beautiful, pretty weird stuff. And it doesn't matter where it's coming from or how it just happens. And like that to me is like a revelation. Even though they're doing all these things that are ostensibly cool uh, and the kind of like abrasiveness, but there is something inherently uncool, like proudly uncool about the way they actually sound. And there's one song that really stands out to me where it was like, it was certainly the one was like, oh, this, I, 
I'm certain this is one of his Ryan's favorites, but it's also like the one where it's like, yes, this is kind of like where the project really is because the hit songs are a little bit more like uh, they're they're closer to like Lil Uzi Vert or Playboy Cardi, but the song uh, "Stupid Horse" has like that, that. It's like chip tune ska and trap all together. Pick it up. Bet my money on a stupid horse. I lost that, so I ran out to the track to get my cash back. I just gotta leave this place with a big bag, so I found the fucking jockey and I grabbed it. So stupid horse is really interesting because yes, you're right. It, it is, it is a, uh, <laughs> okay. So there was a really big moment, uh, when the Aquabats released a horn free album. What year and would that be? On, so I'm looking it up right now. Cause I want to get this right, but I, uh, it was a big deal. The Aquabats are like one of the biggest ska acts ever. You know, they dress up like superheroes. They did the Yo Gabba Gabba theme music. They are like, they are. And in 2005, they released an album called Charge. And Charge was a huge, huge deal because they dropped most of their horn section and replaced it with synthesizers. And and there's a very good song on there called Fashion Zombies, which is obviously about zombies. Um, and then I lo- looking it up now, there's another one that I really liked called Demolition Rickshaw, which sounds extremely problematic, and I should probably look at the lyrics to that. But um, a lot of these songs were ska done via synthesizers. And Stupid Horse is very similar, although it is a bit, it's like a bit too dumb for me as, as a song. I love Ringtone. I think Ringtone is like perfect when we're going, when we're talking like 100 Gets, when we're talking 100 Gex songs. But I think my all-time favorite is the Hand Crushed by a Mallet remix featuring Fall Out Boy, which is, to me, like that is, if you put my brain in a like two and a half minute long track, that would be it. Like that is just everything I like in music in one thing. I was dying to find a way to kill time. I didn't even get to tell you. Looking for a way to fly the corpus 
the thing that hit me about that remix was that it was simultaneously a thing that was making it more presentable with just by virtue of it being fallout boy and that guy's voice but it also felt more weird than the other things because you've introduced this more normal element in the middle of it Yes, exactly. And it gets even stranger when you remember when you realize that it's not just Fall Out Boy, it's also Craig Owens of Chiados, which is like a incredibly deep cut screamo band for the mid 2000s. And the fact that you I, we talked about context at the very top of this show and I think that's the that's like the power of 100 Gex is by adding or subtracting context, they create like weird tension. So by Introducing Fall Out Boy, they have acknowledged that other things exist besides 100 Gex. And yet in doing so, they've made themselves stranger because they've figured out how to get Fall Out Boy to appear on this bizarre song. And it's just like it's like it's it's like context collapse as an art form. That's that to me is I, I think what 100 Gex is best at. Right. And the, the the direct connection both on that remix album and also just kind of more broadly is uh, PC music. And there's all, all sorts of PC music people up and through that remix record, but that's also part of their thing. And I think when I first heard 100 Gex, I was a little just kind of like, ah, I've done this because I was really heavy into PC music around, I guess, 2013, 2014, maybe 2015 as well. And then I just kind of hit a wall so hard with that music. And I couldn't even explain to you what it is. I mean, I think uh, particular to some of those artists, they started trying to move towards making more normal music. And it just like it would just kind of like be like this bad compromise to my ear. Whereas I think this thing, um, especially that uh, <laughs> that Fall Out Boy remix is like it's kind of taking in the normal thing without giving up anything of the the, the more abrasive and or, or just the, the larger just like we're doing everything at once all the time. Yeah. And, and there's and there's this frustration I've had with like people my own age and people slightly older than me. And I know that you and I've come, come around this frustration a lot with me, which is that I don't think that there's anything that, let me rephrase. I think that you should acknowledge like everything, right? Like, I don't think there's, I don't think there's a a type of, um, a type of inspiration or, or a type of reference you can do in your music that, that is, is bad. I think, I think it's all fairly interesting. And so with a hundred Gex, they feel very much like they're informed by a history that I experienced, like the mid two thousands, like mall rat FYE records, like anime music video on Kaza era, like uh, the late night it's it's the same way i feel about lo-fi hip-hop which is essentially just the, the the music equivalent of the interstitials from adult swim like i i i grew up with that stuff and and i came of age with that stuff and i've been really frustrated as an adult that those things aren't reflected in culture and then when 100 gex came along i was like oh shit in fact i feel the same way kind of about machine gun kelly's new pop punk album that just dropped this weekend uh which i am incredibly embarrassed to say is good um and once again though it's like this thing where it's like it's not ironic because like they've got he's got travis barker on it in the same way that like 100 gex i don't 
think they're ironic. I think they're having fun and I think they're playing. Yeah, there's a prankish spirit to a lot of it, I think. Like they're very playful yeah. and prankish. Like there's definitely like a, a feeling through that album, uh, the first album, that, you know, they know they're kind of fucking with you. They know they're kind of getting a rise with you, but it's also not like a joke. It is like sincere music that is meant to be fun. It's meant to be getting across, you know, like real things that like, you know, it's, it's not uh, it's not novelty music. No, I don't think it's ironic. I don't think I think that there is this coolness to it in the way that like they're they're not trying to be anything that they're not um there there's and like the lyrics sometimes are a joke but oh that's what it was okay i also don't think that what 100 gex is doing is particularly new especially if you remember mindless self-indulgence yeah like i think that they are they are sounding really modern and really interesting but they're also extremely informed by like a long history of spazzy electric fueled punk that's been around since like the 80s like there's always been those bands that are just like grimy filthy electronic bands that show up and like freak everybody out and then occasionally yeah. like i mean you're just going really far back you get to like the the, the residents and stuff like that exactly and i think th- I, I think there's a long tradition of that and it's like this weird thing where every 10 years we forget that that exists and then someone does it and everyone's like whoa i can't believe they're doing it and it's like yeah because like it's a thing it's a trope yeah, I think the thing is like less the uh, well, I mean, people have people have short memories or like they don't. I mean, a lot of times, especially if you're, you're you're young, like your sense of the history is a little warped by just where you come in on things and you can't be expected to, to know everything. Um, but, you know, but I think it becomes new because they're using like a different they're different reference points, different uh, instruments in some cases. Um, I think that one of the things that's really interesting about this, uh, kind of getting to what you were just saying, is this: this is this music and a lot of other similar music is pulling in culture uh, from all these different directions, but it's all particular to growing up a particular way. So if you grew up yeah. in the suburbs of the Midwest and you're kind of a weird kid in the suburbs of the Midwest, you know, you know, you're into the you know, the music is in front of you, but also like, you know, Adult Swim and it, all, all of this context kind of comes together. Um, and it, it's very authentic to a certain existence. So it, even just like having the stuff where it's like the Nightcore stuff and the Nightcore has like a connection to anime I don't fully understand. Oh, I can explain that. You know? I can explain that. Oh, please do. So, okay. So in the very beginnings of like consumer editing movie software stuff right so like there was this windows movie maker it came on the windows and in the early 2000s kids would make music videos because suddenly they had um pirating software that could download tv shows and anime was a huge genre for downloading like pirating stuff right so there was this culture of what were called amvs or animated music videos or anime music videos it depends you know they weren't always anime but they a lot of them were one of a lot of them became like. Wait, how far back would that go? I mean, I I was sort of aware of this as early as like two thousand three, probably. Okay, because like the thing that's like immediately coming to mind for me is um, I'm not sure if you've ever seen this. Do, do you know the Matthew Sweet song "Girlfriend"? It's kind of one of his biggest hits. No, I don't. So the video for that, which is from either 1990 or 1991, is all like repurposed anime footage. I can't remember exactly which one it's all pulled from. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, so it sounds like that in some ways was like the ground zero for that just being an idea of like, oh, we should use this for music video footage. Right. And then there's the Daft, there's the, the Daft Punk one as well. Right. Okay. That's like around 2000. Exactly. So like this, this is definitely happening. And so kids are starting to make their own. In fact, like a lot of them in that very early era actually went viral enough to like be well known. Like depending on who's listening to this later, you know, if I name drop the Cowboy Bebop Smooth Criminal music video, I, chances are there might be a few people that know what I'm talking about. Which is kind of incredible to yeah. think about. Anyway, so night. Just pause for that. Just pause to let them hoot and holler. Just and okay. Just, we move just, along. Just hoot and holler, baby. So in that time period, as people are chopping up anime and like making music videos out of it, they're also beginning to like start very rudimentary like audio editing stuff because for the first time ever, people could download Audacity and they could screw with songs. And one of the easiest things to do with a song with free audio software is speed it up. And there was also this like huge interest in Dance Dance Revolution, which are uh, playing like happy hardcore songs, which are, you know, the genre kind of uh, encapsulated by really high pitched chipmunk vocals. And you've got like Crazy Frog. And there's there's this there's this really it's like a real, real hyperactive energy. Yeah. Everyone's just like wanting like really sugary techno. And so one of the easiest ways you can make a song that kind of sounds like that with free software is to just speed it up. And so there is this whole scene that appears of taking anime clips or anime art and putting them on YouTube and then combining them with sped up songs. So my personal favorite Nightcore song of all time is a Screamo cover of Macklemore's Thrift Store, but it's sped (laughs) up and it slaps. It slaps, Matthew. (laughs) It's so good. You would not believe how fucking good it is. I'm gonna pop sometimes. I've got twenty dollars in my pocket. It's sick. It's so good. Yeah. Anyways, well, we know you love Macklemore. I do love Matt. I love Macklemore the most. Wait, uh, so, why is it called Nightcore? And I, I let's just just for anyone listening, we're not saying Night Court, the TV show from the 1980s. It's Nightcore. No. So it is actually it's named for a duo that started pitch shifting trance and Euro songs. So Nightcore is a group. And people were trying to emulate. Oh, so, so it's like so it's like if psychedelic rock was instead we always call it Pink Floyd. Yes, exactly. So like there was a uh, there was a Norwegian group. They were making sped up, pitch shifted trance songs. People were like, "Oh, I could probably do that too." And so then they just made songs like that. And then, um, I just looked it up. Actually, the first Nightcore edit. Of a non-dance track, guess guess what guess what band it was? I don't know why, but the first thing that came on is Metallica. You're not far off. It was in 2011. The first non-dance track that was uploaded to YouTube with a nightcore edit was Evanescence. Okay, yeah, not only only about ten years off, but it also gives you an uh, idea of like the exact kind of people that were into this. That like that right? Well, they're 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 kind of aughts nerds. Yeah, it's like that crossover. It's like it's like the crossover of like metal and anime and mall culture and like pirated like bootleg TV shows and it's a very very suburban, very suburban, super suburban. And I think a hundred gex like taps into this like. It's not suburban rage. It's not like your your you know your Green Day or your Slipknot or something. It's like suburban boredom, and like the manic yeah. energy of like setting off firecrackers behind a Seven Eleven. Your own fun. Yeah, exactly. It's just and it's ugly and it's dirty and also a hundred gex I think reflects like the griminess of the American suburbs now. It's not the um, it's it's not 
Oh yeah, as, as as the economy collapses and and uh, the, the opioid epidemic just gets worse. And worse. I, uh, so there's like a huge meme of like going to the 100 Gex Money Machine video and like looking at what people are commenting, and it's just like full of jokes. And my favorite comment on the Money Machine music video is something to the effect of, "This video is what all North Korean generals think American teenagers look like." <sighs> How true is that? I don't know, but I think it's hilarious. I think it's amazing. And there's just like this, I don't know, there's like this, it's like this, it's like the same thing that little Nas X kind of taps into where it's this joy of internet culture and memes and, and sharing and having fun and the, and and the weightlessness that the internet can, can make you feel. And, and I, and also like, like the joy of things not having to make sense. No, and like, you know, like Little Nas X put the fucking yodeling Walmart kid on his song. Like, it doesn't have to line up. It doesn't have to be. And I think I was talking to a friend about like the difference between like millennials and Gen Z and stuff. And I, and I also should point out that 100 Gex aren't Gen Z. They're they're my age. They're like they're like late 20s, early 30s. Um, and they've been around for a while. But I think the reason that Gen Z are gravitating towards them so intensely right now is that they they sort of like are part of this. Uh, temporariness, this sort of like this like Gen Z mentality of like it doesn't all have to add up, it doesn't have to define you. It can just be like fun and weird, and we can like see where it goes. And I think millennials get really stressed out about stuff like that, uh, of being like pinned down. Yeah, and I think we have like this, we have this weird, um, we have this weird insistency that everything we do has to define ourselves. Whereas Gen Z is like the world's going to end possibly tomorrow. Why would I give a shit? Like if this adds up to the greater narrative my of narrative of my own life and it doesn't mean they're being ironic yeah. either. It's just being like, it's the internet. Like I can just make a new account. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a weird mix of anxiety and chill. Yes. Yes. It's also the complete because the vast majority of Gen Z, their parents are Gen X, and that's like the radical opposite of a Gen X point of view. Where the Gen X point of view is like my identity is 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 authentic and firmly in place and does not budge. Right. Whereas Gen Z is like, uh, yeah, whatever, man. <laughs> um, which I, I I appreciate because like I don't know. I am pretty tired of like having my life make sense. And I think that like a hundred Gex taps into that freedom of just like, we're going to make sounds and like, they're going to line up and then they're not going to line up. And what you care about doesn't have to be a joke. And you don't have to say like, Oh, LOL. I like Nightcore. Instead they're like, yeah, I fucking like Nightcore. And I just, I'm tired of irony. And I feel like a hundred Gex is a band that, it's easy to assume is being they're being ironic, and I don't think they are. I think they're just having fun and they're tapping into something that is authentic, but it is ugly and grimy and weird and like cool. Like that's cool. What do you think? This is like in the speculation zone. What do you think they do as they kind of advance their career? Like it's because they seem like the kind of group that does not have a long lifespan but they also could also just not be that way so like i'm thinking of like uh the band sleigh bells uh <laughs> yeah. acquaintances of mine and sleigh bells i think come out uh i guess t- 10 years ago um with a record that i think has like similar qualities but from like a different you know frame of reference and point of view but you know a similar thing where it's like this could just be the only one they ever do yes 
but but they so they iterate in different ways as they move along and i i like a lot of the the later sleigh bell stuff but you know it's like they're a band that definitely is uh going to always be defined by that first record and i think that's probably a thing that would happen with 100 gex i mean i don't know what their next record is going to be like but it's i mean that seems like a, a likely fate if i had to guess where they're going Based on the sound and the presentation of A Thousand Gex and The Tree of Clues, which is their new remix album, I have this suspicion that they're slowly but faster than you'd think moving towards the like Camp Bisco scene. <laughs> of course, that makes a lot of sense. They're also like... Wait, 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 wait. explain for a second what that yeah, is. So, I don't know if everyone knows what so that is. So Camp Bisco, I don't even know if it's still... I mean, there are no music festivals anymore, but like Camp Bisco is one of the grimier electronic music festivals. I think it's in upstate New York. It's like the Disco Biscuits, right? It's like the, like they're... It's kind of like, like they're, uh, they're like the, the masterminds of that. Yeah, I mean, I once had, I once had Camp Bisco described to me as it's a drugs festival that happens to involve music. Um, and I think there's like this, when you think of electronic music, I think people tend to think of, uh, like prettier stuff, like, uh, not quite Coachella, but maybe like burning man or, or rich people like taking drugs and dancing and being beautiful. But then there's this other side of electronic music that like, I think is best exemplified by Arrowid, the online like drug repository (laughs) where it's like, you're listening to like bass nectar or like disgusting sub woofer sounds with like clicky drums. And you're just like taking research chemicals you bought off Amazon. And I feel like there's like this entire other online, there's this entire online community and other industry for electronic music that hundred gex seems to be going towards. And like the video that they made for the remix of uh, smash by a mallet, like has these like trippy psychedelic, ugly look to it. And I, I think this is also important to bring up, which is that um, they've said in interviews that they're incredibly inspired by Skrillex. And, oh, of course. And, yeah, and I think that, that's are. like the missing link here where – so a buddy of mine, we grew up together. We, we played in ska bands together. We, we, we liked the same music. I told him the other day that Skrillex used to be Sonny Moore from, from First to Last, a very popular screamo band that he liked in high school. And my friend did not know that. It blew his mind. <laughs> and I think that there is this like – there's like this connective tissue that Skrillex provides from the the emo and hardcore and punk music scene and the electronic music scene. And then also it's like a Venn diagram. And then there's also like the drug trip hop scene, right? And I feel like Skrillex is dead center and 100 Gex, I think will probably be very similar to Skrillex. I don't think they're going to be as big. Yeah, I mean, it depends. On, it depends on how uh, how uh, careerist they are. So, I, I mean, I guess like this is probably more on the the guy uh, Dylan Brady. Um, yeah, well, I think that Skrillex is really interesting. I can't believe it. I can't believe I've never connected Skrillex to this before because it really is kind of like the the nexus of every hyperactive electronic thing in the world, isn't it? Yeah, um, or like, um, but, or like, um, uh, 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 that. I mean, it's certainly like early Skrillex because Skrillex definitely, as uh, he moves along, becomes more. I mean, I don't think he's actually had an album in a long time. Probably not for like seven years or so. But it's also like, um, it's also but, like know, death he, grips, he, he, like death grips, or like Brockhampton. Yeah. It's like there are there are these outsiders on the corners and edges of hip hop and electronic music and yeah. punk and hardcore that are all saying like, "I'm going to scream with my laptop and make ugly no- noise you can dance to," 
and yeah. people, I, I it's almost becoming its own genre, and like Skrillex is the most successful one of it. Yeah, I think Skrillex really points to a direction they could go in because what Skrillex has become to pop music is he's like hot sauce that you put on like pop music to make it like a little more wild and bounce, you know? So like, uh, I mean, a really good example is the Travis Scott uh, Sicko Mode, the remix that Skrillex did, keeps like all of the structure of, of Sicko Mode, but just makes it more hype. Yes, because he, and because, but I also think Skrillex was smart uh, after the release of his first album where he was like, okay, what is the Skrillex sound? And everyone was like, it's the Wub Wubs. And he was like, okay, well, I don't want it to be the Wub Wubs. And then he, they're like, oh, it's the vocal chops. And he's like, well, okay, I don't want it. The Wubs, the Dubs. And the yeah. Bass. And then he's like, I don't want it to be the vocal chops either. And it's like every time that he gets pinned down, other than the haircut uh, and the glasses look, uh, like anyone can draw Skrillex, you know, like there's that image of the, of the <laughs> meme where it's like the broom and it's like, I love Skrillex. Um, but every time he gets pinned down, he changes it up a bit. And I sort of think the remix album for 100 Gex is allowing them to do the same thing where it's like, oh, you think we're the Nightcore act? Well, here's like a bunch of weird remixes. And then they're going to go, okay, which directions did this go in? Are those interesting to us? And kind of build out that way. It's 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 Actually, Skrillex did the exact same thing with his remix album after Scary Monsters, Nice Sprites. Um, and then he kind of like perfected his sound with Bangarang. After that, he kind of like went off and now he just like hangs out with Diplo <laughs> and, yeah. and like collects. It makes a Justin Bieber mega hit that just kind of bankrolls his life for yeah, years. I just end. imagine Skrillex is just like down in Jamaica recording snare hits with like the perfect reverb somewhere being like, I've got to get the best dub snare I can get. <laughs> The, the thing I think with Skrillex and probably also with Gex is like the, the, the real core of it isn't a particular sound. It's the energy. The energy is really the thing. Um, I interviewed Skrillex maybe like eight or nine years ago when I was at Rolling Stone. And he was I, I, I can't even remember. I, it was just one of those things where at Rolling Stone, be like, hey, uh, just talk to this person. And here's like three different things we need quotes for. And uh, I remember just kind of saying offhand, like, oh, man, your music is really good for listening to at the gym. And he just started getting like, oh, man, I just like to love I just love to run around and just like jump around. And like, <laughs> it's like, it's like that's who he is. He's just like this, like super energetic, hyper enthusiastic guy. Yeah. And like, the music is exactly who he is. And like you wouldn't, you know. You'd think that like a, like a real artist kind of person would be like, oh, no, I don't make music for the gym. But he's like, no, like, yeah, work out to my music. It's got pump and bass. Of course you will. Yeah. He was like genuinely excited to hear me say that. And I, I think I think 100 Gex. You must hear it all the time, too. Yeah. And I, and I think 100 Gex are probably in a similar vein where they're like being told, I want to drink Monster Energy Drink to your music. And they're like, hell yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh God. I don't think you could really, I think working out to hundred gex might be a bit much. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's music. You have like a nervous breakdown to in a parking lot. Like that's what that, that's what it is. <laughs> but, but kind of like, but kind of like a, 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 a kind of like a, an upbeat energy to the break nervous breakdown. Yeah. It's, There's some, there, is some, there is something kind of bright about it. Like I think, I think there's also a, a chance that they they part ways, maybe. Um, yeah. Like Dylan Brady has a side project that just sounds like it's like a pop punk band, basically. Um, and like I could see them splitting up, or they they don't make another album as a hundred gex for a while, and it goes down like as like this myth- mythical thing. 
Um, yeah. But I hope I hope they just. Yeah, I mean, one, I mean, one of the, sorry, like yeah. one of the things that really suggests that uh, like they might just break up or like are on the on the way towards this kind of like separating is I noticed that on Spotify, like each of them as members is listed as an artist on the track. <laughs> yeah. Which I, I don't, I can't think of anything I've, I've seen that happen with before where it's, it, it would be like, you know, if you saw like, uh, I don't know, like a U2 song was like, uh, Bono, the edge. Right. Exactly. I, and I, and, but also like, I don't know how much of their weirdness is intentional or not. Like I, I, I never know like what their deal, like, I just don't know what their deal is. And I don't want to really know because like, I like, I miss the days at the, like, okay. Remember like the early days of the internet? where you might see a music video on TV and there might be a Wikipedia article for that band, maybe with like almost nothing on it. And you'd have to hunt. Yeah, around- you're, you're, you're kind of talking like the aughts. Internet. Yeah. And you have to hunt around the internet, trying to find message board posts to like get a good idea of what this band was about. But ultimately you'd probably only be left with the album and maybe the music videos that they released, if they released any, and then maybe you could get some interviews. But other than that, you're just like left with the, with the work itself. And I miss that feeling of just like having no clue what a band's deal is. Yeah, like and kind of having like the mythology in your head. Yeah, like you just let the music do what the music's supposed to do, which is like build this thing up. And like I, I like that about 100 Gex. That the first time I heard that their album, I was like, I don't know what the fuck this is, and I don't really want any answers. I just want to like take it in. Yeah. Well, I have another question for you. So you make music on your own. Oh, yeah. You know, like largely like for fun. Have you tried making anything like 100 Guests? Uh, Literally right before we did this, I was mapping out something that I I hope will be similar. Um, They also released the stems. So they released the instrumentals, the one shots and the vocals from 100 Gecks. So I have that whole I have the whole album like broken down. And so I've been listening to it and like seeing how they do stuff because I'm, I, you know, I was curious about it. And it's a lot less. It's actually really funny. There's a subreddit called Synth Recipes where you can basically post a song and be like, how do I make this sound? And every once in a while, someone will put a hundred gex thing on there. And then all the ca- the comments are so beleaguered. They're just like, just distort the fuck out of it. Like it's not, it, it, it's not anything like <laughs> there's just like this, there's, there's this like feeling that like they're getting away with something because their music is so simple. And like, but also I think it speaks to kind of like the over doneness of electronic music at the moment. So like, yeah, just like put an 808 through a bunch of distortion and just like scream with a vocoder over it. Why not? It's funny you say that. Cause I also saw someone yesterday uh, say that they are prog. I, I, I mean, yeah, kind of like they're prog in the sense of progressive, but not prog in the sense of like what we've come to understand prog as a genre where it's like largely based around drummers who are playing math. No, no, no. I, I mean, there's, there's actually very little technical, like, I mean, yeah, they're not like ripping riffs or anything. I mean, it, there's a similarity too to a thing like the fiery furnaces which had a, had a similar kind of like. Like, who are these people? What are they doing? Yeah. This like, like real, like specific energy and also kind of a complexity, but also like the actual music is not tremendously complex. Yeah. And there's also just been like, okay, we've, we've got like, in terms of like internet led musical genres in this space, we've got C-Punk, we have Vaporwave, we have Crunk Core, we have Lo-Fi, 
we have nightcore, like all these genres that are never really taken seriously or really talked about outside of like weird YouTube pockets. Wait, wait, was there actually C punk music? I'm not sure if I actually remember there being actual C punk music. Oh yeah, there's like dolphin sounds in it and shit. Um, it, <laughs> vapor vaporwave and C punk are very similar, but C punk has a slightly different. Is imagine vaporwave but done through a different emulation software. So it's like it, it sounds more like Sega Genesis than it does like um, 80s synths, I guess. Um, but someone someone was going to come along and scoop all of these internet genres up and turn them into something. And it's like crazy to me that it took this long, actually. It takes being like deeply part of it, too, though, I think. And so like they're coming at the other end of, you know, you're talking about like at least seven or eight years of culture. A hundred percent. And they've been at it for a while. Like their first album came out, you know, in 2019. But I think I had read somewhere that they'd been a band for a long time. Like they put out like EPs and stuff. Um, and they've been in music. They've been in the music scene for a while. Like they're they've been around for a little bit. Is there another like one of these genres that's bubbling up now that you've noticed? Um, actually, yes. Um, so uh, I'm actually extremely I'm extremely excited you asked me because I fell down this this rabbit hole uh, yesterday and I was like, oh, this is this is the new thing. Okay. So are you familiar with uh, Filthy Frank? No. Okay. Are you familiar with um, Oliver Tree? No. Okay. Okay. So Filthy Frank was a YouTuber um, who... No, no, but he would he he would dress up like in a gross. You you've definitely seen him. He he wears like a pink jumpsuit and screams, and he's like in all kinds of like in all kinds of uh, memes and stuff. And he was like really edgy and kind of like he he was he was borderline. He wasn't alt right, but he was like he was not great, you know. Um, and he disappeared for a while. Um, basically, in 2017, he just sort of disappeared. And he came back out um, under the name Joji. And he makes a style of music that is very similar to another guy who's very similar named Oliver Tree, who you've seen as well. He wears like a blue windbreaker with like weird sunglasses and a bowl cut. And he makes really similar music to another guy named Post Malone. And there's this confluence happening of like, I've been calling I've in my head I've been calling it meme DM. Um, but it's like it's like it sounds like lo-fi hip hop with emo rap vocals over it done predominantly by um non-black people. I was gonna say white people, but Joji's uh, uh Japanese. But there's like this it it, it sounds like lo-fi hip hop, but turned into real into real music. And lo-fi hip hop is, is, is its own kind of weird thing because it it's not. I think if you say that to people with a certain context, they're what they imagine might be something like early Wu Tang Clan or things that are like that, like like MF Doom or I'm thinking like a lot of like uh, early 2000s rap. But it's not. It's kind of a. It's a different. It's more instrumental, right? Yeah, I mean the 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 biggest example, uh, the best example, the most famous. Uh, is a uh, Japanese record producer who um, he, he's he's died, but his name is uh, Na, uh, Najibs. He scored uh, the anime um, Samurai Champloo, and he kind of invented this concept, which was you take 
old jazz and um, soft melodic retro samples. And then you put hip hop beats underneath them and you do kind of like a tribe called quest style raps sometimes, but it's way more emphasized on the uh, melodic elements than traditional hip hop. Yeah. I mean, it's not like, I mean, it's, I guess like an ancestor of it would be things like DJ Shadow. Yeah, MF know? Doom does similar stuff too. But like, yeah, it's really- I mean, it's, but it's rooted in like instrumental hip hop. It is, but it's kind of like a like a few steps removed, I guess. Like yeah, culturally. Exa- exactly. And so there are these guys who are all kind of related to YouTube, because um, like Post Malone was a YouTuber as well, and they're making this music that sounds kind of like emo rap. It, it kind of sounds like little Uzi Vert or something, but it's a little more polished and it's less influenced by trap and more influenced by adult swim interstitials or lo-fi hip hop or anime soundtracks. So <laughs> I love the idea that Jason DeMarco at adult swim is like, it has like this kind of power over culture without necessarily trying. Cause on the other hand, he, he's also the guy who put together run the jewels. Well, I, I mean, I think I, I honestly think lo-fi hip hop is sort of the defining genre at the moment on the internet. I mean, there was that whole thing where the, uh, lo-fi beats to study relax to live stream went down and everyone was really pissed because of copyright. <laughs> and like, but the, there are people who are, and I think a hundred gex is part of this wave of people looking at stuff on the internet and saying, wait, that is real music. I do genuinely like this. I'm not being, I'm not an older millennial who has to pretend like stuff online is ironic. I like this. Even beyond that, it's just like, this is simply the culture that they're from. You know, like you are from a world where, I mean, a lot of the things that we have just talked about in the past 10 minutes or whatever is stuff that it is very easy for people to just simply not know exist if they don't, like, if they're not on YouTube, for example, if they're not on, like, certain platforms, this would just never cross you know, them, them culturally, it, it, people don't write about it. Not really. That's true. And like the people who do like it, don't feel the need to tell other people about it, which is also like a new thing that is kind of an old thing on the internet where we're going back to pockets, like internet pockets again. Yeah. Um, but there is like this, do you think, do you think part of that is secrecy or, or part of that is just like, you just, you know, it's just not a thing worth talking about is that you don't really have to talk, make it part of your identity and you don't have to, uh, you know, go out and try to evangelize for it. I think, um, I think gatekeeping is considered like pretty cringe by a lot of these people now. Cause like we've all seen those moments of the guy who's like acting really tough about being part of a subreddit or like knowing all the best memes and it feels really cringe. And so I think that a lot of this stuff operates the same way. We're like, could you imagine being elitist about lo-fi hip hop? Like, Oh my God. I also think that uh, an important thing to point out here is that this, is the kind of music that gets created when music scenes are no longer localized. And so like for all of my life, like music scenes were based on where you were from, like playing music in the North shore of Massachusetts. We, we had a rivalry with the South shore of Massachusetts and we all thought the people from Western Massachusetts were freaks. And there were, towns that had certain music scenes and like my town had a rivalry with another town's music scene and like the bands all knew each other and they all like got influenced by each other and played off of each other and it was like this competitive thing and it it was fun and and but it was also like very very localized 
I think when you get rid of that and you, and there's a lot of reasons, right? Like after the recession, people don't have the money to make bands. Also music on your computer has gotten better. Whereas like in 2008, when I was making an album on GarageBand, it sounded like garbage. And now I'm making music on Ableton and it sounds incredible. And like, it's still music on a laptop, right? And if you don't have a local music scene and you don't have to worry about having the instrument to play the sound that you want to play, well, suddenly things get real weird real quick in really exciting and interesting ways, but also it makes a lot of garbage. Too. Yeah. And I think kind of a worldwide pandemic kind of exacerbates all of this because like you just can't get together, have a band now. Uh, or you, if you do, you still have to kind of do it remote or I don't know, surreptitiously maybe. But, you know, again, it's like you can't tour. So like this is the most logical path for at least the near future. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have to I have to name drop uh, this person because they're amazing and I love them. Uh, they're called Scottoon Network and I've interviewed them for my newsletter, but they're a, um, a musician on YouTube who makes ska songs by collaborating with musicians across YouTube and across Twitter. And, you know, a ska band is like the most amount of members you can fit in your band and still be a rock band. Right. So other okay, than maybe like Arcade Fire. <laughs> Arcade Fire or something, right? Who I think I think I think Arcade Fire is a ska band. Let's call let's call I think let, let's call Arcade Fire a ska band. That that's the that's the new that's the new rule. Um, yeah, I think I think the Decemberists and the uh, and Arcade Fire should both just become ska bands. They already do horns and stuff. Um, but I, I think that like when you're no longer when you can pull when you can pull from the internet and you can make any sound you want and you can put it together on your laptop and you can have fun with it and it can and it doesn't have to be restricted. I think up until this point, making music on your laptop always had to be defined by trying to sound like something created analog. And I think a lot of groups right now are saying, no, electronic music doesn't have to sound like non-electronic music. Let's let go of the last vestige of this and say, okay, let's reinvent the way songs work. Let's reinvent the way sounds work. Let's, let's do what we feel like as opposed to saying like, okay, we've got a, we have an electronic song and it's either going to be a techno song or an EDM song, or it's going to be a song that sounds like a pop song, which sounds like a rock song. But instead there's these middle ground going like, no, let's just do something else. And I think a hundred gex is that. Nice. Well, I, th I think we've kind of, uh, Followed an arc here. Uh, I want to take a moment to uh, once again plug your stuff. Oh, yes. Okay. Uh, uh, my name is Ryan Broderick. You can follow me on Twitter at Broderick, um, B R O D E R I C K. Take that, Matthew Broderick. Um, and my newsletter is garbageday.substack.com. And my podcast is uh, The Content Minds. It's on all podcast platforms. And uh, if you like me rambling about the internet and this, you will probably like that too. If you don't, don't listen to it. Uh, yeah, we we currently have uh, two tiers on Patreon: vape influencer and sociopathic YouTube millionaire. That's five dollars a month or twenty five dollars a month. Um, but we're we're gonna roll out new stuff pretty soon. And um, but it's been fun. Yeah, if you if you pay for the Patreon, you get a you get a second podcast where we talk about movies. I don't know. Um, I have to just keep fostering that parasocial relationship, you know. Um, but no, this has been really fun. Thank you for bringing me on. Of course, yeah. Let's do it again sometime because I, I want to have like recurring guests. I, I, I think not enough shows have recurring guests. Anytime, uh, I'll be there. And now it's time for me to foster my own parasocial relationship with you all. Reminder, 
Patreon slash Fluxblog, $5 a month. The next episode is a premium episode featuring Rob Sheffield. Episode after that will be free, and that one will be, I think, with Bianca Gracie. Depends. I could shift the schedule around. That's my plan right now. Uh, stay tuned. This is a song called Erica, and it is by Goya Gumbani and Kina. When the fair come around here, who's scared of risk? I gotta get what I gotta get. Run it up the middle. Hate try break me down. Leave me round the zero. I've been around the narrow. In and out them rentals. Over about my metro. Won't see me where the rest go. Never see me where the rest go. Thank <laughs> you.